I'm only growing as a writer. And and if people want to sh- point out what I'm not doing well, well, there's something to be there's something to be gained from that. Like maybe there's something that I need to attend to that they've they've pointed to. But also, I can't. I mean, that's their opinion, and everybody's going to have their own opinion. And it just goes back to the writing. Like, am I being faithful to the writing? Am I showing up each day and doing my part? If I'm doing that, that's the best I can do. And I can't ask more than my best from myself. You're listening to the Ann Croker Writing Coach Podcast, where I'm sharing my best tips and training, skills and strategies to coach writers to improve their craft, pursue publishing, and achieve their writing goals. I'm Ann Croker, and this is episode 234. Today, you'll hear from Sean Smucker and Miley Silva on writing rejections, creative legacy, and being faithful to the work. Normally, I do this as a short solo show, but today I am hosting these two guests, two novelists, Sean Smucker and his wife, Miley Silva. Sean is an award-winning novelist by night and a collaborator and co-writer by day. He has an honors degree in English and has been making a living as a writer for 11 years. Miley has an honors degree in English, has written three novels, and is currently in the querying process, so she knows your pain. She has raised six children in the last 17 years and is beginning to have more time to dedicate to her first love. And no, that's not Sean. It's writing. She's taught writing in different settings, including as a table leader for the Black Barn Online. Now, you might know them from their excellent podcast, The Stories Between Us. At the end of our chat, they'll be letting you know about their new program I'm really excited about and thrilled to introduce you to. It's called The Nine-Month Novel. I'm gladly promoting their program. In fact, if I were a novelist, I'd be signed up this minute. You can learn more about this program at my affiliate link, which is annkroker.com slash nine-month novel. The word nine is spelled out, so that's annkroker.com slash nine-month novel. Let's meet Sean and Miley. Welcome <laughs> to Sean and Miley. So glad to have hey, you. Anne. Hello. Thanks for having us. This is great. What a treat. And I had so much fun digging into your podcast. Congratulations on being in your fourth season. Thank you. Thanks. Did you ever expect this to grow to be what it is, your podcast? No, we didn't. <laughs> I think, you know, the reason we started it, Anne, was because we're having these conversations all the time. I mean, the stuff that we talk about in our podcast are always topics that we've just talked about in the kitchen or, mm-hmm. you know, in the bedroom or while we're working in the office. And the the reason we started the podcast is because we thought, well, you know, these are interesting conversations if you're a writer or you're a creative person. And so why not just, you know, put them out there? So we did that for a little while. I guess we started about a year and a half ago and then we started inviting guests on and it's just turned into something that's a lot of fun for the two of us to work on together. And it's fun to hear from other writers too. So it's been great. Yeah. I saw that you have guests now. I don't know in the beginning, it was just the two of you, I think for those who are not familiar with your work, but it's called the stories between us. So you can just look that up on whatever you use to listen to podcasts. It's a fantastic effect of having you interact about your writing life. So let's talk about that for a minute. What is it like to have two 
writers. I mean, you may have more with your children, but let's talk about the two of you having two writers in the family at two different stages. And you can explain a little about that. I, I think the bio explains some of that, but mm-hmm. elaborate on that for us. I, I think it's wonderful and challenging at the same time. I'm definitely in the trenches when it comes to querying and trying to get my own work published. Sean's further along down the road. And so you know, if we're honest and we talk about this on the podcast, there's jealousy there, you know, that we've had to work through and I've had to kind of process through a little bit the fact that so many years was me staying home with the kids and and I homeschooled for a number of years too. So those were years where I'd put my own writing on, on pause and wishing that maybe I could have gotten some of that time back, you know, but I, I think we've really worked through that. Like for me to figure out, to see see all of the benefits of those years when I wasn't writing, when it was kind of dormant, the things that were growing in me. And now that I can bring to the page and and I think is helping me through the querying process. And then, you know, Sean's own journey has been really, I mean, it's been inspirational at the same time for me to just see how it's really grown and and you've discovered yourself as a writer in new and, and evolving ways as well. Yeah. It, you know, we, we have these conversations a lot as well about where we're both at individually as writers. And I think the one thing that I'm always trying to get across to other writers is that it doesn't matter where you're at in the process. There's always something else that you want, you know? So if you don't have an agent, you want an agent. And then when you have an agent, Oh, then you want to get a, book deal. Or if you're self-publishing, you want to sell more books than you're currently selling. And then once you have books published, you know, you wish you could sell more copies or what's the next series going to be about or what's the next book. And so I think it's good to have goals and it's good to have things that you're shooting for. Definitely. But I think one of the most important parts of the writing life is to somehow also enjoy where you're at and to enjoy Mm -hmm. the writing that you're doing. And, and for that to be the thing that gets you by, because it, if, if the thing that gets you by is getting to the next level, there are going to be certain levels that you don't hit or certain levels that are, are real challenging to get to and just take a really long time. And those can burn you out if that's your only motivation. So Miley and I are always encouraging each other, even though we are at different places in the journey, we're always encouraging each other, stay focused on the writing, enjoy the writing. You know, that's that the writing is never down. You know, there's so many parts of the writing journey that, will be disappointing, but the writing is always there for you. It's always there for you to work on. It's always there for you to to dig into. And so that's what we're always trying to encourage each other with. On your podcast, you talk about expectations, goals, and dreams. I think that kind of connects with what you just said about enjoying the writing. How do you explain your view of these three things? How do they differ from each other, especially, of course, as it regards the writing life? Well, I think we often talk about the amount of control we have in each of those categories. So when it comes to dreams, a lot of times those are things that are out of our out of our control in that there's so many things that that so many we often throw the term around gatekeepers between us and that thing that we don't have control over. So we can have those dreams and we can hope that those things come true, but a lot of times we may not have direct control over whether they do. So with goals, those are things that we believe that we can achieve by meeting the daily expectations that we put in place that will get us to that goal. So for instance, if I if my goal is to finish a novel, then my expectations are for myself, okay, I'm going to write 
200 words a day. And that's how then I'm going to get to the goal of completing my novel. And that, and so for everybody, that's going to be different. That's going to look different. Yeah. It came out of my soccer coach in college used to use this with us. And so, you know, the expectation was that we would make the playoffs and that for us was, was very doable. You know, the goal was to make it to the regional finals, which was was pretty challenging, you know, but again, that was something that we thought we could do. And the dream was to win a national championship. But I don't think that, you know, a lot of times we we take our dreams and we we call them goals when we really don't have very much control over whether or not they're going to happen. And it it can lead to a lot of very serious disappointment. And so it's just been really helpful for both of us to qualify these things in different categories, understanding that, you know, I have a dream of being a New York Times bestselling author, but I don't really have much control over that, you know, like, so, so my expectation is, I'm going to write a novel a year. And my goal is, or what my expectation is, I'm going to write a 1000 words a day. And then my goal is that I'll have a novel a year. And it's going to be the best that I can do. And then, you know, whether or not my dreams ever, ever come along, we just have to see. I love it because that makes it it possible for you to control what you can control, mm. still have the dream, but not make the dream the goal. I, I love mm. this distinction. It's so helpful. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier, which is to enjoy where you're at and to enjoy the writing itself, which yeah. I think we can we can lose sight of that. I, I know that I have a membership program where we talk about platform and it's easy to start letting the platform pursuit take over and then and it, trying to find that balance between writing and building mm. a platform all of that can get muddied and you just lose the, your first love of writing mm. so yeah and so i mean that that really happened i realized that that was happening to me around 2012 2013 i had been blogging full time for 4 years and working on my platform and i loved blogging daily that was i, I really did enjoy it but i started to realize that what I was doing on a daily basis wasn't necessarily taking me in the direction that I wanted to go. So I was spending so much time trying to build this platform, but I wasn't even writing fiction, which was really the thing that I wanted, you know? And so I had to step back and reevaluate what my expectations were, what my real goals were. And then once I knew what my goals were, then I could adjust, you know, what my daily habits were. I, you know, so once I knew, okay, I want to write a novel a year. Well, I'm not going to have time to blog every day a 500 word blog post if if that's my goal. And so, you know, you have to make adjustments as you as you set out towards certain expectations and goals. That's really good. Although it's hard because I think, you know, Miley, you use that word gatekeepers and those gatekeepers are telling us, especially for nonfiction. I know you guys are focused really right now on fiction, not only writing it, but like really coaching and teaching others in that. But either way, we still have to be able to provide numbers. So it's a tension, I think. But I really feel like, especially for, for novelists, producing novels is, is one of your biggest efforts to even build platform because you're learning the craft and you're creating assets that once published becomes part of building your, at least your, mm-hmm. your being read, your finding yeah. readers, mm-hmm. right? Through, yes. right. which is a little different, like I said, than nonfiction, mm-hmm. which I know, Sean, you have written some nonfiction books. Mm-hmm. Miley, is that a, an interest of yours or are you fully a novelist? 
I, you know, back in 2012, was that when we went on our road trip? Mm -hmm. Back in 2012, we went on a cross-country trip with our kids. Or at that point, we only had four kids in a big blue bus. And, and it was quite the adventure. But along the way, I blogged pretty much on a, a fairly regular basis. And and I really did enjoy it. I, I enjoy creative nonfiction and I ref enjoy reflective writing. But for me, like the real sweet spot is is definitely fiction. That's that's where I feel like I get to play. And that's that for me feels like where and and you said earlier, that's my first love. That's where I feel like I kind of come alive in a way that I don't in other forms of writing. That's great. Do you, I won't say collaborate, but like, do you provide support for each other in the actual creative process in the writing itself, even to the extent of maybe even editing each other? In fact, we have a question along those lines. Gary Miller's asking, do you edit one another or would you rather stay married? <laughs> I love you know, that's that. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. You know, it's interesting. I think that through the years, especially now that Miley has started writing more, we've we've gotten a good feel for the kind of feedback mm -hmm. that we're looking for from each other and the best times to ask for that. So I've started to realize that for me, I would rather not ask Miley for feedback until I have the whole thing written mm -hmm. and I can hand her the whole book and say, what do you think? Because I feel like a lot of times... Well, you just have to know what the person is looking for because I think sometimes Miley will give me something to read and it's really early in, in that particular piece's creation. And if I'm too critical at that point, you can really squelch the creative fire that someone has going in that first draft, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so you have to be careful about what kind of feedback you give back as opposed to like if she gives me a completed manuscript and asks for feedback, then I know, okay... I need to be a little bit more specific. I need to be a little bit more direct about saying what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And I think that we've learned that along the way. So mm. we're getting much better at giving each other feedback. I mean, I remember one time I gave her like 30 or 40,000 words of a novel that was very rough. And I think her response was a little bit lukewarm and kind of like, well, have you thought about writing it in first person? And I was like, oh my goodness, are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, I do not feel like rewriting this whole thing. And so I think that, like I said, as, as we've gotten used to knowing the kind of feedback that we're looking for, I think we've gotten better at, at giving productive feedback. I think it's definitely been a learning process. It has. We, I think we get better and better at it. Mm -hmm. But we definitely use each other for for that. For I mean, I think that's one of the greatest about both being writers that we have someone we have a beta reader built in, which is really really nice to have. And I think we take pretty. I mean, we take advantage of it yeah. for the most part. And it and I trust we trust one another's opinions. So yeah, it works for us. It's not always easy, and there it's not that no, there hasn't been you know nights where. <laughs> I'd rather he slept on the couch or something like that. <laughs> there are definitely quiet nights after like really harsh feedback or like feedback where you're like, listen, this, this just isn't working. You know, like I, I hate to tell you, but like there, here's one little tiny nugget that I really liked, 
But, you know, just recently, I remember giving Miley a chapter. She knew it was an early draft. And so when I shared it with her, she she said, look, this is great. Just keep going, you know, just keep going. And I think we're learning that a lot of times that's the sort of feedback you yeah. need as a writer. Right. You don't necessarily need the technical feedback when you're in that first draft phase. You just need someone to say, hey, keep going. So are you two the first, the very first reader? Did you just say that, that you're the first reader for each other? Yeah, we each other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I just saw in, I think it was a Jane Friedman blog post, but it was a guest post. And they were talking about these three kinds of input. It, I mean, it's just like from yesterday. And they were talking about mentorship, which you mentioned on an episode of your podcast, Sean. And then, so mentorship is somebody who's ahead of you. Then there's mm-hmm. critique where you're offering feedback. And there were, they even broke it down to different layers and types of mentorship, different types of critique. And then accountability, people to keep you mm-hmm. on track. Would you say that the two of you do all three of those things for each other? Or are you looking elsewhere for certain um, roles in one's writing life? And do you even agree with those roles? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think we do give probably all three yeah, at different I think times. So. Definitely yeah. accountability. And sometimes, yeah, it, it's, you know, I think for me, I write all day. So I have from 8.30 until the afternoon. Whereas with Miley, she doesn't have, you know, all of that time. So a lot of times it's me saying, hey, have you gotten your writing in? And then her saying, no, actually, I haven't. Caitlin has a question for you. She says, how did you teach your kids to give you space to do your work? I (laughs) might be directing this a little bit more to you, Miley, because you just kind of mentioned that it it can be a challenge for you to find time versus Sean, it being your full-time work that's already been carved out for you. So I'm going to direct it in particular to Miley. Yeah. You know what, this, this was kind of an evolution within our family. It, you know, what I think about when I hear that question is one night we were sitting at dinner and somehow it came up that we had, you know, we were, we had met at college and we were talking about like our college days and it came up that I had graduated as an English major and our one to be a writer, to be a writer. Yeah. I, you know, I, Mm. I went to school to be a writer. That's what I Mm. said. I went to school to be a writer. And our one son said, what? I thought you went to school to be a mom. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Wow. We've really missed the mark here. We've got we've to change some thinking in our family as a whole. So that's, that was actually a, a catalyst for right. us having some conversations with the family and saying, you know, mom is a writer too, and she needs to have time to do that. So you need to respect that. And and they've, they've done a really great job at that. I mean, if they see me, I, I, I'm right everywhere. Like I write any place I can find a spot that's quiet and there's nobody around. So if they see me writing away on my computer, they know to kind of stay, you know, go find something to do. And, and I can only do that in short increments, but so they, they've learned to respect that. And, and honestly, it's, it's become something very important to me because having daughter, I have three daughters and I want them to see that being creative is a priority. Even when you're a stay-at-home mom, that, that needs to be part of the setup. You know, it needs to be mom gets to do these creative things as well because it's so, so important to who we are as, as human beings to be to tap into that creative side. And I think it gets easier as your kids get older, oh, right? For sure. I mean, so our for youngest sure. two now are six and four. It's very, you know, this is one of the first times since the six-year-old was born 
that we've had kids who are old enough who can go play in a room for an hour or, yeah, you know, can entertain themselves. So, so that plays into it as well. So it sounds like you started with conversation, family conversation, mm -hmm. so that the whole family had understanding and buy-in. So then you could support when the, maybe when they were younger, some of the older kids, and maybe if he's available, Sean himself could say that, no, this is mom's time to write and we're going to make that happen. So they got yeah. used to that being normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is something that we really encourage writers to do is to have this conversation because a lot of times I think we just assume or we expect everybody around us to understand how important writing is to us, mm -hmm. but we've never actually sat down and told them, you know? And so when a spouse doesn't take or a partner doesn't take the writing seriously, interrupts the time or doesn't protect it for you, then you're upset, you know, and why, but I'm trying to get writing done, but, but you've never told anybody in your family how important that time is. And so, you know, that can be the beginning of a really beautiful conversation about personal space, personal time, what your interests are and how important it is to you that you, that you do have that time. That's really good. That's really practical. And you're right. Sometimes we don't voice what we need. And that of course applies to more than just what we need as writers. But um, I think in particular, since we're talking to writers and about writers, I think that that's a value. We need the, we need the people around us to understand that that's a way to honor our expectations, goals, and, and dreams, mm -hmm. and, right. and to support them. It's a practical right. way to support it. I really like that. Okay, so I have a couple um, questions that I hope will help you sort of celebrate a little bit. What are you proudest of as a writer? I'd love to hear from each of you on that. You know, I think that I am proudest that my first three novels were all named by Christianity Today as novels of the year on their end of year list. So that's something that that does mean a lot to me. I think as a writer, you're always looking for affirmation. And I think we have to be careful about how, you know, how much value and worth we give ourselves based on the amount of affirmation that we're, that we're getting. But those mile markers are always, they're really sweet because they, they do sort of help you to feel like, okay, I'm on the right track. There's somebody out there who appreciates what I'm trying to do. And if I could have two, I think the, the other one would just be the private notes that that you, you know, from time to time, I was, I was just reminded on Facebook of a memory from seven or eight years ago of someone who was reading the day the angels fell, maybe five or six years ago. And the main theme of that book or the main question is, could it be possible that death is a gift? And so they were reading this book over a uh, vacation. And while they were on vacation, their uncle passed away unexpectedly. I think he was in his mid fifties. And so she sent me a note and just said, how much that meant to her and that it was in her mind as she was in the room with him right after he died, that question, could this be a gift? And those are the things that really just mean so much. I think when you're a writer that, you know, maybe you don't sell millions or hundreds of thousands or even thousands of copies, but that someone read what you wrote and it had a meaningful impact on their life, I think is something that, that means a, a great deal. Wow, isn't um, that why we write in the first place? Isn't that, you know, we want a reader and to have yeah. that intimate one-on-one affirmation, like you said, or like maybe one is validation and the other is affirmation. I don't know. There might be a little difference or distinction mm -hmm. between those two you're mm -hmm. seeking. Man, that's that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Miley, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead and share what well, you yeah. are proud of. Oh, man. I, I think 
I think what I would be most proud of is I think the legacy that that we're leaving for our kids, our creative legacy that we're leaving for our kids, because I think that creativity has been lost in some ways. I think because of the access we have to so much entertainment and so many ways to fill our time and by by prioritizing creativity in my own life, I see our kids starting to do that. And that just fills me with so much joy to know that they see the value of doing these things, not because they're making money or not because they're getting notoriety from it, but because it's a good thing to do because it's it's part of who we are. And it's it's a part of, I think, a lot of people that 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 they don't tap into enough. And so I, I think we've we've I think by by our children seeing, especially me, making it a priority in my life, I I they're they're doing that them in their own lives. And and I love that. I love that that creative inheritance is being passed down and and they're chasing after their their creative dreams and they're doing the whole expectations goals and dreams and and at young ages and I, I love that I love that more more beauty and art is entering into the world just through our little clan of kids and I think it's because they see us pursuing it wow that's so good the creative legacy that is such a great way to think about what you're doing as a family the impact and then modeling how to actually pull it off. You're not just dreaming, you're doing and they're seeing you do it. They're seeing you actually follow through every day doing tasks to move you toward the goal that's perhaps leading to a dream instead of just sitting around and talking about it. I love right. that. You're you're dreaming and doing and and that that is a creative legacy and that makes me excited for you too. Wow. Okay. So how do you deal? We talked about affirmation. How do you deal with criticism? Not critique, but criticism. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've grown a lot in this way. I think when my first few books came out, I was very, criticism had a, had a, had a very deep impact on me and it was difficult for me to sort of roll with, with that. I think it was maybe with my third novel where I was in a conversation with someone and I can't remember who, but we started to talk about this idea of releasing a novel and what that looks like. And the phrase, the word specifically release, it just, it jumped out at me in that moment. And so that's really something that I, that I try to hold on to now, ironically, hold on to releasing. <laughs> but when, when a book of mine goes out into the world, I really try to release it. Like to take that terminology of releasing a book and take that to heart and say, okay, you know what? I've done the absolute best that I could do. This is the best story that I could write. I, I was fully engaged at every level of the revising and editing process. And so now I can feel good about releasing it. And releasing a book, you know, in many ways, that means letting other people have their opinions about it. You know, there's a writer, I think, who said, what business is it of mine, what you think of my book? Um, and I love that attitude, you know, of like, I've created this thing. If you don't like it, that's your business, you know, but I did the best that I could and I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to move on. And that's another part of it, I think, that really helps me with criticism is just continuing to move 
because a lot of the worst criticism that I experience is in my own head. And so, you know, I think because of that, I've learned that continuing to work on something new, continuing to write, continuing to move on and releasing that book, letting it go is really something that helps me to, to silence those voices, you know, in my head and to, and to move on from those. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's how I deal with criticism. How about you, Miley? You know, because I don't have any published work yet, I don't I don't necessarily get the one stars on Amazon that I have to work through. But you get your fair amount with with the responses from agents and the reject just the rejection in it, just the criticism that comes in a rejection, even if it's a form letter. <laughs> um that's been hard for me, if I'm honest. Like, that's been hard for me. It has been a road. And I feel like I've got, I've made a lot of progress in that area of a, a lot of actually what Sean was saying for me to acknowledge that, you know what, this, this piece of work that I've, I've created, it's the best that I could do at that point. But I'm still writing and I'm still getting better. So I, yeah, I didn't do everything right. But I'm going to do things better than next book and I'm going to do things better than next book. And I'm going to, and so I'm only growing as a writer. And and if people want to sh- point out what I'm not doing well, well, there's something to be, there's something to be gained from that. Like maybe there's something that I need to attend to that they've, they've pointed to, but also I can't, I mean, that's their opinion and everybody's going to have their own opinion. And it just goes back to the writing. Like, Am I being faithful to the writing? Am I showing up each day and doing my part? If I'm doing that, that's the best I can do. And I can't ask more than my best from myself. And people can have their opinion about that. It's still, it's hard. You know, it's still hard. I still have my moments when I just, or I just want to <laughs> punch something. <laughs> well, and, and we can only write the best book we can at that moment in our our growth, our yeah. history. As a writer, and in fact, there's an Ann Patchett essay. I think it's called The Getaway Car in a collection of essays called, well, maybe I've got the wrong, the the title of the book collection is different, I think. But in there, she says she she has this beautiful image of the the book that she wants to write. And it's just amazing. She lives with that for a while. (laughs) Then eventually she has to actually put it down on paper. And it's as if it were this beautiful, living, moving, active butterfly in her head and then she has to like smack it down on the desk and stick a nail in it <laughs> and it's flat it's unidimensional you know, it's not no 3d all the beauty is gone and then eventually it, later in the essay she says you have to forgive yourself for being the you write the best book you can and forgive yourself for mm-hmm. it not being the one that you had imagined and i think right. that kind of that goes nicely with what you're saying miley you're like you're receiving it. You're getting what's called a rejection. Like it's even called a rejection. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks. Feeling great. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're saying, and, and it's the same, it sounds like the same response. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing from both of you that the action to take is to do the work. The action to take is to keep writing, but there's still some way we need to process this thing called a rejection or this one-star review that feels like, uh, harsh criticism. Is there anything emotionally you could advise for someone to do to actually process this? For example, we know from Stephen King's on writing, he he would stick his rejection letters on a hook in the attic right. when he was young and it got so weighty, it bent down and he had to stick another hook on the, on the wall, yeah. uh, like a nail, you know, and they, he kept sticking them right. on there with all the rejections. I, I remember talking with a client 
who was struggling with this. And I mentioned something similar to the Stephen King story. I said, maybe every rejection, you go out and you get a board in the backyard and you bang some nails on the board <laughs> yeah. and like get out the anger and the frustration to process it. You know, she yeah. did a gentler approach and she ended up going to a craft store and buying some beautiful iridescent pearls. And then a clear bowl, I'm picturing like a goldfish bowl on her desk. And with every rejection, she puts a beautiful pearl, pearlescent bead in there to remind herself every rejection is building something beautiful in her. Mm. I don't know. I would be more the nail person, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) If maybe you don't have an actual, you know, practical thing that you do, but like even just the processing, how would you advise somebody who receives a rejection? Maybe you went to their first or second or their Mm. fifth and they need to process it. What do you advise? For me, I'm so emotional. So what I, I give myself permission to be sad about it for, okay. So like, I'm going to be sad about it for the day. I'm going to really let myself be sad. And, you know, if I want to go eat a bunch of chocolate, I'm going to do that. If I want to just lay in bed and cry, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do whatever I feel like I need to comfort myself for that day. And then the next day, I'm going to go back to the writing. Like, I'm just going to get back to the page and I'm just going to keep doing it. So for me, I, I do feel like I need to let the feelings out. I need to feel sad about it and then and, and have the permission to do that and to just sit in it for a minute and then move on. So for me, that's what it works. It it works. And, and sometimes maybe the feelings linger a little bit. But, but if I – the more – you know what you said, Anne, it's, it just keeps coming back to the writing. I feel like the writing is the cure. Like you just keep writing. That's Mm -hmm. what you do. You just keep writing and it gets better. Like you feel better, you know? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I, I, I I am sort of notorious for stuffing my feelings. So I probably (laughs) need to take my wife's advice, but I tend to just work my way through it. So, you know, if I'm, if, if I get a rejection or, you know, a bad review that I see or something like that, for me, the best thing is just to write. I mean, you know, to, to jump back in there and like Miley said, to just, to recognize that I'm improving, to recognize that I'm always getting better and to really strive for that, you know, to, to strive to be a better writer and, writing itself has has been really helpful for me with that. I like that too, because you mentioned earlier that temptation to have our validation be outside of ourselves. But what you're saying is the striving to be a better writer, that's within our control and that's coming from within. So mm-hmm. whether you want to call that a self-validating thing, I don't know, it may be not exactly mm-hmm. that, but it is within our control. We can sit down and do the work today. We can take what tiny nugget of truth may have arrived from that criticism and we can apply it and become better. And I feel like that's practical and we can all apply that. When, Mm. when we talk about writing, we hear a lot of different pieces of advice from famous people. And I'm going to read to you two different pieces of advice that famous quotes Mm. from famous writers. And I would love for you to kind of respond and tell me where are you on this continuum Do you agree, disagree? So the first one comes from Ray Bradbury. You may have seen this before. Just write every day of your life. Read intensely, then see what happens. Most of my friends who are put on that diet 
have very pleasant careers. All right. That's great. Then on the Mm. other hand, it's easy to write. Just sit in front of your typewriter Mm. and bleed. This is a variation of a quote you've seen. It's been attributed to several different people, sometimes Hemingway and sometimes somebody we don't know as well. But the idea is the same as there's this intense, you know, you know, it's great mm-hmm. sacrifice and pain is involved to, to those, to me, those two feel very different. One is like, read and write, you're going to have a great time. And then, oh no, just <laughs> slice your veins open and watch the blood. Yeah. Which of these, and where do you fall? Yeah, how do you respond? Just respond to those. I want to hear yours. Writing coaches and teachers. Man, it's, I feel like it's both. And in, in some ways, because, and, and I think it matters what I'm working on. So I write a lot, but all three of my novels that I've completed so far have been middle grade. And while they've had some weightier topics within them, they've been fun to write. It's a fun, it, it's fun to write. And so when I sit down to the page with those stories, it is just fun. Like it's, it's just play for me. Now I've also been working on a novel that's loosely bla- based on my grandmother's life and that has been she had a she had a hard childhood and so that's been harder to write but still underneath it there's this this i think like an itch that gets scratched even though it's it it maybe the 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 subject matter is harder for me to write through when i do it and i step back after i've had my writing time and i step back i still feel that same just what would the word be like just a, a satisfaction, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just feel this deep satisfaction at having done the work, even though in that sense, it would be harder work. Um, still the deep satisfaction is there. So I don't know. Does that even apply to either of those? <laughs> I'm going to put this one. Up. I think this one's closer. Ray is getting like a little, we're leaning more toward Ray. There's that satisfaction. Yeah, I think so. Room. I think I would. I think I would. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with how you're motivated as a person, you know, as, as far as if you're going to choose one of those to be sort of your writing mantra or whatever, I think you have to know yourself and even maybe where you're at currently, it could change from time to time. I think there are times when maybe you want to feel like what you're doing is so important that it is that bleeding. And so that's what motivates you as you think this is, this is deep, hard work and I need to embrace that. And so maybe that works for you at the time. I would caution though about that always being your mantra. I feel like, are we, I don't know. It, it smacks a little bit of self-importance to me that that what I'm doing is that weighty. But I guess maybe it, it's, it comes back to me just leaning towards Bradbury anyway in my own personality and in what motivates me. You know, what motivates me is if I think back over the last 11 years, I've probably written... I don't know, 2 million words, 3 million words in the books that I've written for myself, the novels that are the, the nonfiction memoirs that I've collaborated on the four or five years where I was writing 500 word blog posts daily. And so what motivates me is to look back and to read one of those blog posts from 2010 and think, wow, I am so much better now than I was then, or even to read my first novel, which I, which I had to do recently because I was trying to write a screenplay for it. And to read that novel and think, you know what, I'm really proud of this novel, but I would, be, I would do it so differently. And I think I could do it much better now than I did, you know, six years ago. So that's what motivates me. 
is to write every day of my life. The reading part, I think, is huge. Mm -hmm. I always feel better about my writing when I'm reading regularly. And so I, I do feel like for me that that more closely represents my view of, of the writing life. That's good. And it turns it into, once again, doing the work and seeing the growth. And, mm -hmm. and I love that you look back and you're not embarrassed necessarily. You know, again, you gave yourself permission to be the writer you were at that time to write yeah, that book yeah, then. Yeah, and yeah. you're a different writer now in a different um, place, both in your career and in your skill. And yeah. that gives you then the ability to say, you know, it is what it is because I was who I was then. And, yeah. If you, and, and if, I'm sorry, Anne, if you're a fan of The Office, Michael, the character, mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes of his, when Jim tells him he's going to give blood, he's like, didn't you already do that? Don't you only have so much? <laughs> <laughs> and so like, if you're going to bleed on the page, don't you only have so much blood? I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe some people it's the topic that they're writing about too. You were talking more yes. about like the kind yes. of the stakes, so the, the stakes that you're placing on your writing, but maybe mm -hmm. for some, it could be a topic. So I will give people the, the, you know, option of choosing it for that. Yes. Maybe <laughs> exploring something hard, but I really right. love this sort of freedom to say, I'm a working writer and I churn out words and that's what I do because I'm telling stories so that people can step into these worlds and, and mm -hmm. walk in the, in the along the tracks of the protagonist and and live out these things that they're having to struggle through, that's yeah. one of the beauties of, of fiction. So let's see. I, I'm looking at the time here. I'll ask you just a couple of questions here. How about you guys are yourselves? I'm a writing coach. We're we're all kind of writing coaches in this space. You're also instructors. You teach it. What's your best advice for a writer? Finish, <laughs> finish what you start. I think there are a couple things that this mindset does for you. If you commit to finishing what you start, then you will only start things that you want to really badly finish. I think very often earlier in my writing career, especially with fiction, I would just start something and I wasn't really committed to it. And, you know, a month in or a couple months in or 5,000 words in, I would just kind of grow bored with it. And I'd move on to the next fun idea that I had. And that's okay. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't, you know, play around and start different stories and see what catches, but I never finished anything. And this is a problem that I recognize in a lot of writers, especially novelists, but I think all writers experience this where early in your writing journey, it's really easy to start and it's really difficult to get through that middle and to finish. And my entire writing career totally blew up in a good way, it totally changed when I committed to finishing things. The first novel that I ever completely finished was The Day the Angels Fell. And I self-published that initially, and then it was picked up by a publishing house eventually. And that led to you know book contracts for my first five novels, which I don't think I would have ever gotten if I wouldn't have actually finished that novel. So that's what I always tell people. I mean, my two favorites are write every day and finish what you start. I would piggyback on on write every day. I think you have to find you have to find a rhythm. You have to find something that works for you. And going back to the expectations, goals, dreams, you have to find an expectation. You have to create an expectation for yourself, and and then work at it every single day. For me, in the midst of we've talked about with kids, it's hard to find the time to write. And I remember I was in the midst of my second novel and just really struggling to find that time. And 
I had finished one of Kate DiCamillo's books in the back flap where it has her biography. It said at the end of, of her biography that she lives in Minnesota where she faithfully writes 200 words a day. And I was like, it hit me almost like a smack in the face, like 200 words a day. I can do 200 words a day. And, and suddenly I had an achievable expectation for myself. Okay. Every single day, I'm going to write 200 words. And often I write way beyond that, but it gets me to the page every single day. And then, then the magic happens after that, you know, like then, then, then we see what comes from that. But, but we have to create, if we're going to be writers, we have to write, (laughs) you have to be writing, doing it on a regular basis. If you want to see growth in your writing and if you want to finish things like, mm-hmm. like Sean was talking about. So yeah, just, you have to find a rhythm. And like you said, 200 words, surely we can all put 200 words down toward our, our project that we need to finish. I love that the two of those, those do go together. Well, I don't think we have time to go into great depth, but you touched on it just now, Sean, in your response, which is, is there any quick answer to self-publishing versus um, traditional publishing, you just observed that your path to traditional was through self-publishing, but I don't know that it always works that way for people. Yeah. Yeah. You You need to know what your goals are. So, you know, if your goal is to be traditionally published, then self-publishing is an option. But if your goal is to make money as a novelist, to make money as someone who writes books, then self-publishing can be a wonderful option. I would say that if you have an inkling that you would like to be traditionally published, then wait as long as you can go through the process of querying, you know, become an expert at querying and then wait a little bit longer. And if you still are not getting, you know, where you would like to be traditionally published, then explore self-publishing, you know, but I think, There are so many benefits to independent publishing and I'll be super quick, but, but one of the main ones is that you get to finish something and see it through to completion. So you're not just finishing a draft. You're not just finishing a manuscript. You're actually able to hold that book in your hand and say, I did this. And that's a big deal. And that can really help you as a writer. Like that can give you some encouragement, some momentum. And that's what I love about independent publishing is that ability to bring something all the way through from beginning to finished book and then to move on. Like I've seen so many people who just have been querying or working on the same book for their whole career. And, and it's not that that book needs more work. It's just that they don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to go next. They don't know what their next step is. And a lot of times self-publishing frees you up to then move on to your next project, to keep writing, to keep moving. And so that's what I think can be really wonderful about, about self-publishing. That's, that's interesting and unexpected, but I think you're right. And you get a great appreciation for when you do land a traditional contract, all the things that are involved, you are self-publishing your book. That means you need to do all the things that the publisher would otherwise be doing for you if they partnered with you on your project. Mm -hmm. So This idea of finishing a novel, I mean, it's really hard to do that on your own. We are connected to some groups online. There's the uh, Hope Writers being a really big one that we both have a connection to, and they help people really see things through. But you have 
And one of the reasons I have you on this call today is because you have a new offering yourselves and it's called the nine month novel. It seems very geared for people who are novelists, but are wanting to finish, maybe even to start, <laughs> or they might've already started, but they need to finish. Can you tell us a little bit about this program and, and how, like, why did you start it? And what will you offer these writers who are either, you know, thinking about starting a novel or they're in the middle of it? Tell us about this program. Well, I'll tell why we started it and you can mm -hmm. kind of tell what we're, what we're offering. We started it because a lot of, of what we've talked about today, we saw what we have built in the two of us. We have the, the accountability partner. We have the beta reader. We have the, the, the constant encouragement. I mean, that's one thing I think we do really well for each other is really encourage one another in our writing. And so we were like, we have this and one another, but so few people have that under their roof, right? They don't, they don't have someone to spur them on every single day in their writing. And that's really what you need to complete a novel. Completing a novel is a big undertaking. It is. And so we wanted to be able to offer that to people who who maybe just haven't been able to get that novel finished. And and it's a goal and they they have control over it. And so we want to help them to establish those expectations in their lives so that they can meet that goal and and walk with them along the way. Yeah. And we've done courses before that were shorter. You know, we've done four week courses. We've done eight week courses. And what I realized with those is they're really those that length of course is really helpful when it comes to conveying information or, you know, teaching. But what I realized was that if Miley and I wanted and what we really wanted to do was to walk alongside someone through the entire writing of the novel to be there, you know, from the idea through the completion of the manuscript, I didn't feel like that was something that we could do in eight weeks. You know, I didn't feel like that would, I didn't feel like there was a course that I could put together that would realistically, I know there's NaNoWriMo and I know a lot of people love that and they churn out, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 words in a month, but I don't think that's sustainable. And what we really want to do is help people create a sustainable writing and while doing that to finish a novel. And so that's why we came up with the idea of, I mean, we're talking about, we're like, okay, well, how long would it take? Like, what would this look like if we would, and we're like, what about six months? Well, six months would be, you know, that would be like a thousand, 1500 words a day. That's a, that's a pretty big ask. I mean, I know a lot mm -hmm. of people that do that, but that's a serious commitment. Well, what if we did a month of, of ideas and then, and then the writing began. And so we came up with nine months because, at that rate, it's about 600 words every weekday, 3,000 words a week, which is a commitment, but it's also doable. Mm -hmm. And if you get behind, you can catch up. You know, like you can write a couple thousand words in a day. So if you get behind, maybe a Saturday, you you get caught up for the week. or And then even if you do fall behind, the the all the content is going to be there. So we're doing 30 plus weekly videos where we'll send those out at the beginning of every week. And those will be more teaching some encouragement, mostly having to do with where we are in the process of writing the novel. We'll, we're going to do monthly Zoom calls, one or two calls a month, where we in person catch up. We'll probably have some interviews with other writers in those Zoom calls. And we have an online community. So 12 people have signed up so far. We're already chatting, getting to know each other, getting excited about the nine months to come. And that community is really going to be central, I think, to just staying connected. But what I'm telling everybody who signs up for this course, 
the community, the videos, the Zoom calls, those are all secondary. So our main goal is that you write. Mm -hmm. That's the main goal. So if, if watching the videos is kind of throwing you for a loop because you feel like, oh, I'm not an expert on characters. Now we talked about characters and I feel like I don't know anything about character. Well, then stop watching the videos. Like <laughs> if the Zoom calls, you know, if you don't have time for the Zoom calls, don't come in. I would rather that you got your words written that day than that you join the Zoom call. So, you know, if the community is too distracting and it becomes like a Facebook or, you know, a social media thing, then check out for a couple weeks. Our main thing is how can we help you create a real sustainable writing rhythm that will get you through the writing of this novel. So that that's the primary goal. That's so good. It seems like community, like the, the, the content level of golly, it seems like a university level course in terms of really instructing you in all the elements it takes to write a, a novel, but the community level of respecting these people are adults and they're, they're writing their novel. They can control <laughs> yeah. and make their own choices and you're not going to grade them and yet you're yeah. going to provide that support system for them training mm -hmm. and support and you know i think a lot of people listening would look at what you have and wish for that wish mm -hmm. that they had in their own under their own roof you know mm -hmm. somebody they could bounce ideas off of someone who's going to nudge them to say did you get those 200 words in or in this case mm -hmm. 600 words and i feel like from what you've just described it's like you're offering like, we'll be that for you for right. nine months. Right. Yeah. Be your, yeah. your book family. Yeah. <laughs> and you. We'll help you with your creative legacy for the time that we're together. And then you're creating this cohort of, of people who will have this unique experience of walking through the challenge of writing a novel together. Mm. I, I, it sounds amazing. Who's perfect for this? Who's the perfect person to sign up for this? Well, I think, you know, I had a couple people approach me who are writing creative nonfiction. And I was a, I was a little hesitant because we are going to be very focused on fiction. So I think it's a broad range of novelists, though. I think especially if you've, if you have a great idea and you want to make sure you finish it, maybe you haven't even started it yet, but you've just always had this idea to write a novel and you think, man, this would be a good novel. I really want to do this that would be a perfect person. Or if you've tried to write your novel and you're stuck and, and you've just never really been able to, you know, the middle for me is the hardest section of writing a novel. So from about 30,000 words to about 60,000 words is such a difficult phase. And I lean on Miley so much during that. And I think that as writers, we could really benefit just from some encouragement to keep us going that's the, that's the time in the novel where you just have to keep writing. You may have no idea how it's going to end. You may feel like what you're writing is absolute crap. Like, and, and that's when you just have to buckle down and get through it and get, get to the part where, oh, the end is in sight. Now I can focus on the climax, focus on the fun ending. You just got to get through that middle. So I really think that if you've struggled to get through the middle, this would be a good course for you. As far as writing level goes and teaching, it's going to be all over the board. To be honest, we're going to we're going to talk through some very introductory concepts, you know, things that Anne Lamont talks about in Bird by Bird. And we're going to address some really complex, mm -hmm. you know, narrative voice issues. I just read a book about fiction by James Wood, and he talks about the whole concept of narrative voice 
being an extension of either the character, a third person narrative voice being either extension of the character or an extension of the author. And so there's some really, you know, kind of nuanced things very, that yeah. we're going to work through. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, you'll get it, you'll get it where whatever level you're at, it's going to, it should reach you. And I think, I think what we're looking for in our students is, is just a commitment to the writing to say, you know what, this is something I really want to do. And so this is my chance to do it. So you're going to need to be serious. <laughs> like it's, it's, I don't, I think this is, this is your, you, you would come into the class looking at this is your opportunity to do it. That's fantastic. I, I think that it sounds like it's more about, I'm ready. I need to write this, whether you're advanced or beginner, you, you can address that. Sean, you've got the actual publishing credentials and Miley, you've got the, the grit and determination, like I'm in it with you. And of course you're both in it with each other, but I think that the spectrum there, I think the way that you can nurture this community, but also kind of nudge them to, you know, to provide those sort of milestones where you're going to say it would be ideal if you're on track here. seems mm -hmm. like that's probably baked in. Does that mm -hmm. sound right? Yeah. 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 We're sure. going to have word, we're going to be keeping track of word counts and, you know, keeping oh, people in track good. as far as that goes. Yeah. Did I see workshopping too? Like, like an opportunity for that maybe for some people? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we I are. Mean, that, That's going to depend on the group. So we'll, you know, we're going to open that up. And if there are, you know, two or three or four or, or everybody wants to do some workshopping, we'll help organize that. The course is not going to include a lot of like detailed manuscript feedback from Miley and I just because of the work that's going into it to create the videos. But we do want to try and create that environment where you can feedback. Yeah. I mean, that right there would be so valuable. It, it, it feels like um, all the things I loved about the college experience of creative writing classes without the, without, you know, the great, without yeah, exactly. going on the script. it's like all the things I love and, and, and just to be under your guidance. If I wrote fiction, I would be signed up right now. I, you know, I don't write fiction. And, and that's why I really love introducing you to my, uh, the people who are in my world and that are, have, you know, come to listen to me as a coach, because I find that really more and more, I am more confident steering people into their nonfiction goals. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I had some great places for them to go, things to recommend, then I would. And then lo and behold, you came up with this and I'm like, whoa, okay, go learn from them. That is exactly what I would do if I were at this moment in time I, and with this goal, or would it be an expectation? Is it a goal? It's a, a goal. It it's a goal. It all three. It's a goal. <laughs> I would sign up. And I would have to sign up right now because the deadline at the time of this recording is like looming, right? What's the timeline? It's line? about 12 days. Yeah. So February 24th sign up. is the deadline to sign up. And then the first video goes out February 28th. And that's when everything kicks off. The group is open now. So if you sign up now, you'll get access to the group and everybody's already having fun and getting to know each other. So that's, that's really cool part too. Nice. Is there any tech limitations? Somebody would be challenged by that in any way. If you're listening to the podcast, you probably know enough to get, to get hooked up in the class, but there's also a, a 30 day money back guarantee, no questions asked. So if you sign up, and you would hit a snag with technology or you realize this just isn't for me, you know, we will not be offended. You're mm -hmm. more than welcome to, to back out. So that's totally fine too. That's amazing. I can't beat that. You got Ingrid. Looks like you've got a new member. Ingrid's all, right, all signed Ingrid. up. 
Let's do this thing. I Ingrid. And, I know um, Ingrid from, from before. So that's great. And then, you know, a couple of things I thought I would just uh, share with you that in the comments section, Rebecca is saying, I was so into my novel that I didn't want to leave my life with my characters. But one of my friends said, you have to finish. And so she found that to be great advice. As did Gary. He too says, finish what you start. I'm bleeding now. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, a note here from Amy Anderson who says, can't wait. Thank you for providing this opportunity, Sean and Miley. I have a creative nonfiction blog, but I'm also writing a novel that recently revealed itself to me oh, and I'm so nice. ready to jump in and awesome. learn. So already, I hope I hope these people will find just after listening to the warm advice and stories that you're telling here, I hope they'll find that, you know, they're going to find that that and more under your guidance in this program. If not, people can, of course, at any time they can hop over and subscribe to the stories between us. And so you can always learn from them for mm -hmm. for free week after yeah. week during this okay. season hey. and just yeah. go back and binge listen they're amazing you guys <laughs> thank you for bringing your your warmth your experience and just the, you know your affection for each other but also your love for writing i think you have energized us today and i feel like we're getting ready to to head off now and and do the work Right yeah. well, and thank you for having us. Yes. And I have such a respect for the way that you lead writers. There are, you know, a fair amount of shysters out there who are just looking to make a buck. And I always tell people about that. But you are one of the people that I recommend and I send people to you all the time because I really appreciate the work that you do. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. And have a great day. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and feel inspired. Learn more about their comprehensive program for novelists at annkroker.com slash nine month novel, a program for which I am a proud affiliate. With input from Sean and Miley, you will start and finish your novel. Now you'll have to act fast because registration is open only until February 24th, 2021. Now, if you're listening to this after registration closes, that same link will point you to lots of other ways that you can learn from the Smucker so that you too can secure your creative legacy. I'm Ann Croker, writing coach. Thank you for listening.